James chapter 1, you can turn there. And just to let you know, uh, man, if you're a visitor here with us this morning, I just want to thank you so much for being here. My name's Jake. Uh, I'm pastor here, and uh, you know we're I'm, we're so excited that you're here, and and we've been going through a book, uh, the a book of the Bible, a letter in the Bible uh, called the book or the letter of James, and uh, the title of our series is uh, Working from Victory, and this is this idea that everything that we do as Christians, the, specifically the work that we do, the the way that our life is lived out and breathed out into our actions is from a perspective, from a place of understanding what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. Working from this place of victory that Jesus has already ensured for us. And so this morning, I want us to, uh, to, to, to just lean into that a little bit. And that's where we're at this morning. And so we've, we've, we're, we've been, this will be our fifth week, and we're still in chapter one. But this morning, we're going to finish up chapter one. But, uh, but last week specifically, we were talking about temptation. So we talked about our desires. We talked about our feelings, those things that lead us into sinful situations, our sinful decisions. And so our, our idea last week that we left was, was don't be fooled by your feelings. Don't be fooled by your feelings because our feelings rarely lead us to the places God intends for us to be. A lot of times our feelings are based out of the desires of our flesh. And so he he drew us into something bigger than our feelings, drew us into something bigger than our desires and bigger than what was swelling up from our flesh within us. And so we're going to continue, remember, with this common thread that we talked about in the series, that the idea that our perspective determines our progress, right? Our perspective on life, our perspective on God, our perspective on our faith determines our progress. And this morning, what we'll hopefully see and what we'll kind of grasp onto is the idea that our perspective is influenced. Our perspective is influenced. The way that we see things, the way that we see the Lord, the way that we see the world, the way that we see our life is influenced by things from the outside. It's influenced by the things around us and the things that we're hearing and doing. And so uh, our, our sermon in a sentence this morning, you know I like to give you a little tidbit, just something to sum everything up and we'll kind of come back to it at the end. But, uh, but our sermon in a sentence this morning is this phrase, that our hearing and our doing are visible fruit of an active faith. Our hearing and our doing are visible fruit of an active faith. So this morning I want us to pick up in James chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 19 and I'm going to read down to verse 27. Starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law or the word of truth, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself 
unstained from the world. So as you'll kind of hear and see from the text this morning, the text is broken up into these very obvious sections. And so this morning, the first thing that I want us to kind of focus in on and I want us to see is how James, who we remember is the brother of Jesus, who at one point in Jesus's ministry was not a believer in Jesus. He actually questioned Jesus and doubted Jesus and then later on would become a pillar of the church. And so James would learn so much about what Jesus was about and what Jesus was doing that he would begin. He would write this letter. Remember, this letter of James is written to professing believers who were scattered amongst the land because of persecution and other difficulties and trials that were coming against them. And so James is writing this letter to Christians and the first thing that he tells them here and he's speaking to us this morning professing believers potentially here is he says to be hearers. To be hearers. The first thing he calls us to do is to be hearing. Verse 19 he says, Know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, and slow to anger. So there's a posture at which we approach others and we approach God, is what he's calling us to right here. As, our, as we're kind of leaning into this active faith, as we're leaning into the work that Christ has called us to, he tells us here, he says to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so we can also kind of remember the beginning of James is kind of this continuous narrative. And so we've talked about trials, uh, we talked about tem- uh, trials and then temptations. And so he's kind of saying that in, even in light of trials, the difficulties of our situations around us, then he's also speaking of it in light of temptations, the, the desires, the sinful desires that well up within us, drawing us to sinful things. He calls us, uh, so he's kind of speaking it even in, in that case. That we be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger in our approach to God. Because too often, too often when we're trying to navigate life, when we're trying to navigate situations, whether it's our approach to God and our relationship with the Lord, or even our approach to other people, whether it be Christians or non-Christians, we tend to not want to listen. We want to speak. We want to speak our mind, right? We, we want to make sure people hear what I've got to say because obviously I've got it all figured out. And what is that most likely lead to. And I love how he says that, slow to speak and then slow to anger. Because most of the time when we're speaking from this place uh, without listening, without hearing, whether it's from hearing from the Lord or hearing from other people, it, it causes confrontation. It causes arguments. It causes these issues that are coming from, from this prideful place where we are speaking before we're listening. That we are overtaken because we want to speak it and not listen. The biggest enemy to our relationship to the Lord and our growth and our spiritual development is being spiritually hearing impaired. That's what I want us to hear this morning. The the biggest enemy to our hearing of the Lord and the hearing of even each other is being spiritually hearing impaired. And the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 5.11. He says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You have become dull of hearing. You're not listening. In Hebrews, he's writing to Christians, Jewish Christians there also. He says, you're not listening. Because the thing is, and the where that most of us struggle is that listening takes humility. Right? To be quiet enough to hear from the Lord in our private time or in church or in our, our, our worship time and prayer time or to hear from others, to hear from each other. That listening takes humility. And especially because of the fact that we live in, and I love that it's called this, it's just funny, we live in such a rage culture, right? That everybody wants to argue. Everybody wants, like you can't post an opinion on social media without people just 
demolishing you about it. 20 different opinions and everybody wants to throw theirs out there. And if you don't agree with them, then they just tear you down about it and just destroy people uh, because of this, this idea of that I'm right and you're wrong. And that if you don't agree with me, then, then you're an idiot and, and everything you think is wrong. And like, it's just this rage culture where it's zero to a hundred. There's not conversation. There's not listening. It's just arguing. It's just fighting. It's just bickering. Like we're not listening to each other. And because of this culture, we're welling up with this, like he says, being slow to anger. And so this anger and this wrath is what is communicated either from Christians or just people in general, whenever there are those who either don't listen to us or they don't agree with us. And so he's telling us here that it is built on this prideful attempt to elevate ourselves. If we're honest, when we're speaking before we're listening, it's built on this premise of pride. It's built of us elevating ourselves, thinking our opinion is more important than anyone else's and that our needs and that our struggles and that our things are more valuable or more needed to be heard than anyone else's. And so he's bringing us to this point where we need to be listening and stop speaking because the speaking that we're doing before we're listening is leading us to anger. And so he continues on. He says, not only should you not speak, and he's telling us, he's, he's beginning to tell us these things that are impairing our spiritual hearing. He says, not only should we not speak, which is leading us to anger, but also in verse 21, he says this. He says, therefore, because of this, remember, therefore means because of, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. There are things in our lives, as we're talking about hearing here in the beginning of this uh, section, there are things in our lives that are impairing our hearing. And it's not only our speaking, but it's the things that we're allowing around us. The clutter that we've allowed, it in, our, allowed in our mind, in our spirit, in our life, that is impairing our vision, this noise that keeps our ears from grasping what we need to hear. You know, I don't know if this is just because I've, I'm, I'm getting older uh, or I'm getting more ADD. I don't know what the situation necessarily is, but I cannot be in a room anymore. I used to be able to do this. I cannot be in a room with a TV and multiple conversations going on at one time and then somebody trying to talk to me. I will never grasp it. I may be the only one like that, but I, I, I can't hear. I can't engage with someone when there's all these things going on around me. We got the TV on, other conversations, and my wife could attest to this. If we're in a restaurant, she always tries to sit me where my back's to the TV, where the sports are on or whatever's going on. And, and then I'm listening to about 10,000 discussions around me. And I can tell you what's going on with this couple behind here. They're obviously dealing with something pretty rough. And then I'm listening to these people over here. Like, I'm just so overwhelmed with all this noise. And, and like I said, I think it's probably more of ADD than anything. But, but, you know, when those situations come, say the TV and these conversations, you know, for us, if we want to engage in the conversation we're having, what do we do? We turn down the TV. We step into a room that's maybe a little quieter. These steps, that active responses that we're taking to ensure our adequate hearing. And so that's what he's calling us to here. He's saying, put away these things that are impairing our hearing of what the Lord and what other people are trying to speak to us and speak into our life. And, and he says these words here. He says, in your version, what you might be reading out of, may say it differently, but mine says filthiness and rampant wickedness. And so what these words communicate is these words communicate this idea of dirty laundry, of dirty laundry. It also communicates this, this, this idea of a garden overgrown with weeds that cannot be controlled. You know, and I've never personally had a garden, but I would bet 
that in a garden that is overrun with weeds, a garden that has just grown up. I mean, I have a patient who has one of those right now. A poor guy had a garden, took care of it for a long time, hadn't been able to, so it's all grown up. In a garden that is all grown up, I would imagine it's very difficult to find the produce in that garden, right? Not only will it be difficult to find the produce in that garden, but the more that those weeds and the more that that has grown up, the more it's going to choke the life out of anything that could potentially grow in that garden. And so what, what James is speaking to us here is he's saying, hey, we have overgrown gardens in our life that are choking the life out of the produce that we could be making from our spiritual life. He says, put those things away. He's saying there's some things in our life that is clouding our hearing, that, it, that is, is cluttering uh, the noise around us. And he says that we need to clear our lives because when nothing is clear, when our lives are cluttered, nothing is clear when our lives are cluttered. You know, I... I just think about like, and I don't know if you've ever watched this show before or not, but the, like the show Hoarders, I don't know if you've ever seen it, where they just pile all their stuff everywhere. They just got stuff everywhere. They pretend like there's method to the madness, but in reality, they can't find anything. They just buy new stuff and then it just piles around. They just, they can't, and they can't navigate. They lose functionality of certain spaces of their home. All that stuff is the same thing in our lives that, that we've crowded so much into it or we're allowing so much in our life that it's cluttering our, our, our lives up where we are not producing anything or the production that we do have is overshadowed by the growth that we've allowed in our lives. And it's not allowing us to be these active hearers or these active livers for the faith. And so he tells us here that we need to, we need to clear that out. We need to clear that brush and the weeds out of our gardens, turning our ears to hear and clearing the noise. And one of those ways is, is as we have this filthiness or as we have this wickedness, that those, those words sound so heavy. And, and when we hear those words, I know we're immediately sometimes thinking about maybe the things that we see as filthy or wicked in our own life that we've done. And maybe those things are the very things that are clouding uh, our, vi our, our ears or are cluttering our, our hearing, our spiritual uh, ears, and that we're being hearing impaired. We're not hearing from the Lord. We're not hearing from each other in the encouragement that we're trying to hear. You're here Sunday after Sunday, and you're not hearing the words I'm saying. The beautiful thing is that the Bible gives us a very simple solution for clearing the filthiness and wickedness out of our life. First John, he says this, he says, if, you confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, ask for forgiveness. He says, let me know and I'll clear it out. Because I've had clutter in my life before, in my shed, in my room, in my wherever. And you walk into that and you get overwhelmed with it, right? Listen, Jesus is that moving service that says, hey, I'll come take care of your clutter for you. You just have to ask me. Just ask me. Just bring me in and I'll take care of it. There is clutter in our lives that is impeding our spiritual ears to hear what God is trying to communicate to us as individuals, as husbands, as wives, as fathers, as mothers, as employees that he's trying to draw out of us to produce from within us. But there's too much grown up around us. He says, let me know, and he'll take care of it. And then he continues on in verse 21. And he says, not only to put away the filthiness and rampant wickedness, but he says, and receive with meekness. Receive with meekness. So not only are we putting some things away, but we're receiving something. And that's helping us understand that there's a difference between hearing and listening. And every husband in the room can attest to this. There's a difference between hearing and listening, right? 
There is a big difference between hearing and listening. And so, you know, for us, especially when our circumstances are difficult, we can find ourselves just complaining. We can find ourselves pushing against God. We can even find ourselves running away from God. We can find ourselves being indifferent to God. And so he's calling us to this to this posture where we're receiving, where we're not resisting. You know, the the idea that us receiving what God is trying to communicate to us through his word, through our worship, through our devotion times at home, that is the door through which God's grace enters into us. Our receiving is the, the door at which God's grace enters into us because we are not saved by our working. Can I make that clear this morning? We are not saved by our working, but receiving. We're we're saved by our receiving what he's done for us, what he's communicating to us, not by what we give to God, but what God gives to us and we receive from him. God has called us to this posture of receiving, of hearing, taking what he has for us this morning be able to walk in a working act of faith. And he says uh, here, in, uh, the, uh, Mark says in Mark 4, 24, he says, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. He says, pay attention to what you hear. It's not just hearing, but it's paying attention to what you hear. You know, that, that, that's why there's Man, that's why we put no uh, blank lines on the back of our bulletin, not because the things that I say are just so glamorous and wonderful that I want you to write them down and remember it. It's because when we're writing or when we're taking notes, it puts us in this posture of a student to be receiving, to be learning, to be listening what God's got for us. And, and so there's a difference. There's a difference between just sitting and hearing and, and coming and listening and taking something in and remembering it. And so he tells us, and then in Luke chapter 8, verse 18, he says, Take care, then, how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So he tells us how you, there's a a way that we hear where we receive not only what God's got for us, but even more than what God has already given us. He wants to continue to give to us. And we engage that by hearing him and not only hearing him, but receiving. And it says with meekness. I love this word meekness. This is one of the fruits of the spirit. You know, this this idea of, of power, you know, meekness means power under submission where, you know, I have the ability to listen to other things. I have the ability to direct my attention to other things. I have the ability to do lots of things. But what he calls us to is this idea of meekness where we submit ourselves we, we lay ourselves down to, to surrender ourselves. And what does he say we're, we're receiving with meekness? The implanted word. Man, the, the implanted word of God. And this implanted word is, is the gospel. He says, what are we receiving? He doesn't say something specific like you're receiving this or this or this. No, he says you're receiving the implanted word, which is the work of grace, which is the work of the gospel in our life. He says that is what you're receiving. You're receiving the understanding, the identification of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done for you on your behalf and what he's given to you. He's calling. Remember, he's speaking to believers here. He's telling them to be receiving. Receive what he has for you. Take what he has for you. What does he have for you? The implanted word or the word of truth, the gospel. He's placing something within us. This source of that that planting comes from our intentional listening and our receiving of his word. He's called us to this, the submission to the gospel. 
You know, because what he wants us to understand is the gospel is more than a rule book. You know, the Bible and, and, and God is more than this moral instruction. But it's a vision, a revelation of who Jesus was and what Jesus has done and what God through Jesus Christ wants us to continue to do with us. Because the reality is moral instruction will only produce whitewashed tombs like the Bible talks about the Pharisees, those who knew all the religious rules and knew how, how to do all the right things. And they were the best at doing the best things and, and, and they were right at doing the right things. But just strictly understanding moral instruction will only produce whitewashed tombs or rebels who think there's no way I could ever live up to that. There's no way I could ever do that, so I just completely reject it. Whitewashed tombs or rebels is all moral instruction or do just the do's and don'ts can accomplish for us. We need more than a rule book to motivate change. That true change comes from our understanding of the reward rather than the rules. Understanding what Jesus has done. That's what motivates our working. That's what motivates our doing. That's what motivates our listening. All these things. Psalm 119 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. It's because of this understanding that we, we place within us, we receive within us that drives the way that we live and guides us into the places that we would go. And then he tells us in Matthew 12, kind of going back to the way that we speak and that our speech is a reflection of our heart. Matthew 12, he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he's going back. Remember the beginning of this, he said, be slow to speak. And then he, now he's speaking of us speaking that that speaking is coming from a place of our heart. And what's within our heart is what we receive. And what we receive is what we've allowed ourselves to hear. He's calling us to hear. He's calling us to listen. He's calling us to receive with meekness. And so then he moves from hearing church and he begins to communicate to this, this idea of doing. That it's not just hearing what God's done for you. It's not just hearing what God has called us to, but it's in an active working from victory, active faith that is stepping into things, that is doing the things that God has laid before us from hearing to doing. And if not the, to doing, then we aren't hearing. If we're not doing, then we're not really hearing. Because the, the, the reality is, and here in verse 22, we'll kind of see what he has to say to, remember I, I said in the beginning, he's speaking to professing believers. And he, so he has the understanding that some of these professing believers may not truly be believers. Because he says this in verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He's speaking of these people that have deceived themselves into thinking that they are something or, or are part of something that they're really not. Because either uh, they're misusing uh, the grace that God's given them or they're using what God has given them in a way to uh, put oppression on other people or to, or to be a religious a ruler over other people. And we know that because in Matthew 7, uh, you know, uh, we talked about in the beginning that James is the book of James is almost a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 when Jesus is teaching. And which is a beautiful, awesome thing that in the time that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, James was not a believer. And then James later in his life, when he would write this letter, he would write it kind of 
coming from the Sermon on the Mount, taking those instructions, taking what Jesus said in Matthew 5, uh, chapters uh, 5 through 7. And so we know that in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse specifically in verse 21 to 23, it speaks of these people that come to the gates of heaven and they say, Jesus, I did all these things right. Like I did this, I prophesied, I cast out demons in your name. I did all these things that, that by eyes would be great, would be good, would be religious, would be all these things. And what did Jesus say? He said, flee from me from I, I never knew you. I never knew who you were because you didn't receive me. You didn't hear from me. You took what you wanted and you did what you thought you wanted to do or needed to do with it. And you weren't hearing from me. And then continuing on in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he communicates this. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and, and beat on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So there's a connection between our hearing and in our doing that builds a foundation under us that when us, whenever life comes against us, when the difficulties, like we've talked about last, uh, last couple weeks, the trials and temptations of life press against us, he says, you will not fall because you're built on a foundation, not only because of your hearing, but because your life is doing out of reflection of what you've received from what you've heard. And then he continues on and he says, everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the same situation, same struggles. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and it was a great fall. Luke eleven twenty eight says, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it or do it. Blessed are those who hear, listen, and receive the word of God and then do it. John 13, 17 says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There is a connection between our hearing and our doing and the blessings that God gets, give, just pours onto us. And in and, and Romans 2.13, he says this, he says, For it is not the hearers of the law or the word of truth or the gospel who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Well, you hear that and you say, well, well I, I thought we were justified by faith alone. And that's exactly what Paul is saying right here in Romans 2. He's saying you're justified by faith alone because we believe that salvation and justification happen immediately. What does justification mean? Justification is our place before God, that God has deemed us innocent, that God has deemed us right. And so he says that here, he says that it's not just hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but doers of the law will be justified because we believe that through salvation and justification, there will be this natural progression of action that comes from our life, that we will be different, that there will be fruit that comes from the life of a believer that is unmistakable. Now, does that mean that in every season of life, we're just going to be perfectly killing it at the, at the Christian life? Absolutely not. Don't hear me saying that this morning. But do hear me say that our life should be visibly different as a believer. God has called us to be gospel doers. He's called us to be gospel doers, church. And that begins with receiving gospel conditions. And he continues on to show us what those gospel conditions are. Verse 23. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural 
face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. You know, he, he communicates this idea of this mirror, this awesome illustration. And the thing we have to remember about this time, first off, is that mirrors were not a normal household item at this time. Okay, mirrors would have been made out of metal that was kind of beaten and, and kind of flattened out and it would have had a bunch of rivets and stuff in it. And so the, the, the image that a mirror would portray would not be a very perfect image. And so what is he saying to us here as far as these gospel conditions? He says that if you are a hearer that isn't doing, then you are like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he saw. And so what he's seeing is this imperfect image, this, Im this image that is a little off, this image that is, is missing something, that has some spots, that has some brokenness to it. And so what he's calling us to, these gospel conditions, is this idea of repentance. And, and, and he continues on and he talks about the law. He says, uh, but the one who looks into the perfect law or the word of faith, the, the gospel, Gospel, says the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty or the law of freedom and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so he calls us to this idea that we're looking into who Jesus is, seeing and receiving who he is and what he's revealing to us through his word is that we are in need, that we are not perfect, that we are broken. And he tells us that if we are hearers who are not doing, then we are like people who have recognized that there's a problem and then walked away and forgot that we're in need. That we've forgotten that we need him. That we've forgotten that we have something that we're lacking. He's calling us to this uh, carefully and cautiously uh, examination, this penetrating examination. Because he says in this examination, not only will we see the imperfection, but we'll find liberty and freedom and victory there. Because he offers us the solution. When we have received it, it should be shown in how we respond to his word, not walking away as if we haven't seen something, but resting in that something has been done and I should be doing something because of it. My life should be reflective of what I've seen. Verse 26, he says, he continues on and continuing on this idea of doers, of, of people that are actively living out their faith. In verse 26, he says, and if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You know, in the several times that the Bible uses the word religion, uh, most of the time it's using it in a negative connotation. Not that religion in itself or to be religious is a bad thing. But he tells us that if our so-called religion is all talk, then it's worthless. If it's all talk, church, it's worthless. If it's not reflective in who we are and how we live. You know, he, he talks about this word religion, speaks of ceremonial acts, rituals, routines, a certain appearance and representation, coming to church, doing the things. You know, we, we as Christians have, have, or people have really learned how to look the part. You know, and so he, he's talking about those people, the people who come in and we just, we know how to play the game, right? We know how to play the game. We know how to play the part. We know how to, to, to seem a certain way. You know, facilitating this appeasing spectate, uh, uh, spectation rather than actively participating in what God's called us to, being these doers that he's invited us to be. And then he kind of even gets more specific in how we do. And I love, I love that he wraps up the book 
uh, the, the first chapter this way, because the, the book is about to shift into very specific, kind of almost Proverbs-like breakdown of all the things that a Christian actively working from victory, how that looks and how that plays out practically. And so this is kind of the end of the narrative portion. But I love how he ends this when he begins to speak of doing. He says in verse 27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You know, there's two things that he communicates here that as a Christian should be actively flowing from our life. Compassionate love is one of them. Compassionate love and an unspotted life. Compassionate love and an unspotted life. You know, these love, and he says, for those afflicted and in need. Those afflicted and in need. And this unspotted life, when he's saying this, it's communicating this idea of an unaffected, motivated, not by the world system. Unspotted or uninfluenced by the world system. And you know, in the, when anytime the Bible speaks about, you know, when it talks about the world as like the world, or it talks about the world as a system. It's talking about this world system that's in opposition to God or this system that's in opposition to God. And so he, he's telling us that we are un, to be unspotted or unchanged or unmotivated by the world system, being different, looking different, acting different than the world. That we're not, it's not just lip service, as the Bible would tell us at other points, that we're truly living as believers, working from this place of victory, and that it's not a secret. That, that it should not be, people should not be surprised at your workplace if you're a believer. People should not be surprised at church or in your family if we're believers. They shouldn't be. But a lot of times we navigate out of fear or concern of how people are going to respond to us. And he's telling us that if we're not living, doing that faith out loud, then there are people that are missing out on the work that we could be stepping into their life and doing. And one of those things is compassionate love. And who specifically does he mention here? He mentions orphans and widows. In this culture, orphans and widows would have been the most forgotten people. They would have been the people with the most need. They would have been the people the most alone. They would have been the people that had the least of anybody else. They would have been the people looked down on the most. Who does he tell them that the, 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 the focus of your love is on the most needy? He says those are the people that benefit from our doing. Those are the people who benefit from our faith, stepping out, working from the victory that Jesus has, has provided for us, not from this place of that I'm perfect, but that Jesus is perfect and that I'm a broken person like you are. And we're stepping into this, this sphere together, trying to figure this out. And he tells us that it is compassionate love for the forgotten, for the neglected, for the vulnerable, these people who cannot reciprocate because children and widows, they weren't allowed to work. They weren't allowed to do anything. They couldn't do anything back for these people that James is speaking to. But he's telling them, they are the focus of your compassionate love. Who are those people in your life? Who are those people in our community that need the compassionate love of believers in De Quincey, Louisiana? You know, a lot of times we uh, think of this idea of what would Jesus do? But too often that's kind of an abstract or distant thought. And for us, it should be more about what would I do if I were filled with Jesus? What would I do if I were full of Jesus? If I had heard what he had to say to me, I received what he was trying to give to me, and I began to step into and walk in the way of Christ dwelling within me. Man, imagine how our families would be changed by that. Just overflowing with this compassionate love for people who can't give back to us, who are vulnerable, who are in need. 
and, and not being motivated, being unspotted by the world, being unaffected, being different. Listen, the community around us, the, the dying world around us, the needy around us, they don't need us to be like the world. They don't need us to walk in this pragmatic kind of attitude where we're looking like the world, acting like the world, putting on this show. Like They just need us to have compassionate love for people. They need us to, to not be motivated by the world system that has a hierarchy, that has classes, that has uh, all these things. It just says, have, be unspotted by the world systems and live out and walk out with compassionate love and how you deal with people. And so this morning, as we finish up, my timer's in the red, so I'm running out of time. This morning as we finish up, church, you know, I like to give you a few things to communicate, kind of walk out with. So I want to give you this, three things this morning that we can do to begin to prepare ourselves to step out into what God has for us, what God wants to do with us, how God wants to navigate our life. These three things, church. The first thing is prepare to hear. Prepare to hear. Every Sunday when you come here, prepare to hear. When you step into your private time, your quiet time, when you're commuting back and forth to work, I spend all day in my vehicle. Maybe you spend all day in your vehicle or in a cubicle or in an office or something like that. When you're in those moments, prepare to hear from the Lord. Lord, speak to me. God, I'm receiving what you have for me. You know, Sunday in our devotion time, in your conversations with other people, hear from other people. Hear what they're struggling through. Hear their opinions. Hear what they've got going on. You know, I read this uh, this week. It says, uh, telling us to close our mouths. You know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. It should remind us to listen more than we speak. Listen more than we speak. You know, putting away and taking off those things that have caused us to be spiritually hearing impaired. Prepare to hear. Prepare to hear. The second thing, church, is to hear to live. Hear to live. You know, receiving what we hear is a motivation and an instruction for gospel living, for an active faith, that we hear with an intention to translate it to action, that we don't come in here this morning. And, you know, we, we do this, unfortunately. We hear a sermon, we, we listen to a sermon, we read something in, our, in a book or in a devotion or in the Bible, and we step away from it and we forget it. Or we step away from it and we have no intention of allowing it to, to cultivate into action in our life. Church, here to live. Here to live. Here to step out of here this morning or even stand up out of your pew and walk down the aisle and live it. Here to live it. And the last thing is live to love. That our living is, is a loving of those in need and loving the Lord. You know, the, the Bible tells us the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Sums up the whole law. He calls us to that, that type of love, living to love, not being self-focused, but others-focused and leading to helpful, allowing this to lead us to helpfulness and holiness, that we're helping other people and we're becoming more and more like the image of Christ every day, that we would be living to love. You know, but the most important thing that we do in that church this morning that we have to get right, remember I tell, told you that he's communicating to professing believers with the assumption that many of the people who would read this letter may not would even be believers. Church, the very most important thing that we do is receive ourselves, That we've received. That we've, we've received the implanted Word of God into our life, into our hearts, into our spirits. And that we allow it 
to communicate into our actions, that it overflow from who we are. Because the reality is, man, I, I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon, and, and I want to leave you with this this morning. But he says this, he said, what would you say of a cook that prepares meals but dies of starvation? A cook that prepares meals but dies of starvation. You know, our doing is empty, is, is meaningless if it's not from a place where we have already received the implanted word of God and that everything we do is not from this moral expectation of doing good, but it's from this place of understanding what Christ has done for me and on my behalf. So church, let's pray this morning. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I I pray this morning first off for those God, that we would not be deceived by our words. God, that we would not be deceived by our own thoughts or expectations. God, but that we would leave certain that we are implanted with the word of God, the word of truth, the gospel, that we have put our faith in Christ for the saving work on the cross. And that, God, as we leave here, God, we've heard, we've received, and, God, we will begin doing what it is you've laid before us. Father God, that we would be a people of action. God, that we would be a people of prayer. God, that we would just not be coming and, and, and hearing and then walking away as if we've heard nothing, as if we've seen nothing. Father God, I, I pray for, for the Christian this morning that has been struggling. God, the Christian this morning that, that their hearing has been impaired by the clutter around them. Father God, I pray that, that through your word, God, I pray through your Holy Spirit. Father God, I pray through, uh, through their own intentions and their own actions, God, that they would begin to declutter their hearing. God, that they would begin to cast out the noise. They would begin to clear out so that they can begin to find the produce. God, that they can begin to develop the produce and grow the fruit from their life that you intend for them. God, help us clear the clutter this morning. God, help us to hear. Lord, help us to receive and submit to our need. God, that we desperately need something besides ourselves. God, we're weak, we're broken, we need you. Father God, let us receive that this morning, God, and help us. Give us the courage and strength we need to be doers. God, first off, in our families. God, first off, to our, our spouses. God, first off, to our kids. God, and then lead us into the lives of those. God, help us have compassionate love for those in need around us, Father God. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you. Lord, I pray that you would just move in our church. God, continue to grow us and use us as you see fit. God, thank you. I thank you for every person that's here this morning, God. I pray you bless them. And Lord, bring them back to join with us again next week. Father, I love you. Lord, I thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Church, I pray.